0: Of the Cowboy Jesus podcast, it's great to come to you here on a November day. It is a beautiful day here at Colorado, a little bit on the chilly side. So it's fun to be downstairs in the basement studio at Columbine United Church doing this recording. I got a special guest with me today. Actually, she's not a guest; she's a colleague. Uh, Jill Vanderwall and I have worked together for how many years now? Have we worked? Coming up on four. Is it been four years? Yeah. Holy cow! So Jill is a leader here at Columbine. She's up front leading worship. She preaches, she teaches, she leads small groups. But I think the most important thing about Jill that many of you kind of know, but maybe not, is that Jill is a mom of two great kids. We're going to keep their identities confidential for this podcast, protect their privacy. But I want to talk about what does it mean to raise a kid in a progressive environment. I've raised three of my kids. They're now in their 30s, but I remember working with them through their elementary years as well as their middle and high school years trying to raise a kid in a progressive environment. I think especially in the milieu where there's so much fundamentalism going on, there's a ton of fundamentalist information out there for fundamentalist parents about how to raise their kids. I mean, there's private schools, there's private high schools that are just geared towards raising kids in a fundamentalist environment fundamentalist faith but those of us on the progressive end of the spectrum there's not a whole lot out there. So what Jill and I want to do is to do a podcast that helps you think about, those of you who are progressive parents, about how to raise your children in a progressive spiritual environment. So Jill, it's great to have you here. Thank Thank you you for coming on. So let's first talk about what are the challenges uh, for parents who are spiritually open, spiritually progressive, Mm -hmm. vis-a-vis parents who are fundamentalists? What are the key differences, key challenges?
1: Well, I think one of the things that maybe your more evangelical, fundamentalist stream has done is to really create a formulaic model of parenting, right? And so the resources of Focus on the Family and so many others really have these – Yeah, almost this like how to be a Christian family, how to raise your kids in the faith, and what that looks like. And so it's formulaic, uh, very kind of rules, values, principles based. For some people, it works great. For other people, it's suffocating, right? And so for the parents that walk away from that, um, or have never been in that pool, but that really value raising inclusive, progressive, um, I don't know, right? Like gentle, kind, loving kids where faith is a part of their life, but not in maybe that same rubric with the same rules and values that come with the evangelical fundamentalist slant, um, I, it's a really interesting journey, right? I think that I see parents constantly asking these questions of each other, of how do we do this? What does this look like? It is leaning into a faith with um, where there's space for questions and curiosity, and the knowledge that really as parents we don't have it all figured out. Even as a, a pastor, I don't have it all figured out, when sometimes there's a pressure to have everything figured out, right?
0: Yeah, you know, the interesting thing that you got me thinking is that the uh, things like focus on the family and um, all the material that's out there for raising a kid in a, um, in a fundamentalist evangelical perspective, it's so predominant that it kind of feels like that's the model that mm-hmm. you're supposed to raise your kid in. And it's only when you start raising your kids that you begin to realize, wait a second, this is not what it means for me to be a progressive, especially if you are an LGBTQI plus you know, parent with uh, two moms or two dads, uh, it suddenly you begin to realize that fundamentalist model just doesn't work. It doesn't equate to the values that you want to offer your kids, mm-hmm. especially in this age where we're trying to be uh, mindful of gender differences. Maybe your kid is not you know, is straight, but you, they definitely have friends that are uh, gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans, just all these different ways. How do you raise a kid up within this environment Mm -hmm. when really there is no model out there that says this is how you raise a kid in a progressive way? Tell me about that Facebook group that you're on uh, as far as... parents trying to raise their kids progressively. I mean, it's a movement. It's things are people are wrestling with it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, first of all, I think before we even talk about like the resources and contemporary conversations about this, I think it's helpful, you know, for me as a parent as I think through what my theological perspective is, right? And I think you and I have talked about this a lot, is I deeply resonate with original goodness. Uh-huh. Original goodness, right? Mm-hmm. That an infant born is beautiful, perfect, and mm-hmm. just this image of God waiting right. to be born out in the world. Right. And so much of our faith, um, more conservative faith development, is based on this original sin. So even in my parenting, and who I like, my whole as I've walked more towards and live in a progressive camp my whole frame of reference changes for the world, right? That my child has original goodness and divinity that we are seeking to nurture the image of the divine, right? And not control and control the bad. Right. I, and so oh, that, that's great. That's okay. great insight. so let's talk about like where we start. Right, and I think your starting point. Then you start to to meet other people on this journey of saying, "How do we nurture goodness?" I mean, I think that's something that I mean, that's how I see you in all of your ministry, right? Mm-hmm. Of saying, "Goodness, mm-hmm. nurturing goodness." Right, right. And yeah. I
0: think, we, and that's what uh, my wife and I try to do with our kids. Is try to take that inherent goodness that is within inside each and every one of them that is unique to them. Absolutely. They're not a cookie cutter. No. But to say, okay, how do we take the goodness of this kid, the uniqueness, and bring it to fruition? Mm-hmm. And spirituality was a huge part for both of us as far as how, how to nurture that uh, within an individual.
1: And every kid's different, right? Uh, all of our kids are so different. And so how do we say, how did God give me this one this one human to nurture. And it's like stewardship 101 is our children. And right. how do we help them bloom and contribute and see their place in the earth? And so this original goodness, then, like, sort of permeates everything. We see them as good. Their bodies are good. We'll talk about sexuality later. Um, we see the world as good. We see others as having potential goodness and things to offer us as opposed to a fear. And the world is fearful. Um, if we step out of this line, we are going to have consequences, obedience, all these pretty heavy, you know, words that can be, um, conscripted, I don't know, by religion, what's that word, you know?
0: Conscriptive works. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I think that's a basis. And so it's been so fun for me as a parent and then as a pastor and a learner to find these communities who are really seeking to be their authentic best selves as parents, learning, growing in their own faith, in their own perspective, in their own journey towards wholeness. And then they are looking at their children and saying, what does this look like Um, to parent in a way that engenders wonder, creativity, a sense of connection to the divine? and um, wholeness, ultimately, and gentleness.
0: So how do you do that? I mean, let's talk first about, OK, <laughs> so bolts. this is good philosophy, kind of nice things to think about. But uh, like, when you're an elementary kid, you yeah. have elementary kids. How do you do this with elementary school children?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's really you know how we talk in our families. So a lot of it is language, what we talk about and how we talk about things. Um, first, do we have compassion for ourselves? Do we have c- compassion for our kids? You know, my daughter um, spent some money at the mall this weekend and then was really sad that she had spent money on what she spent on. And I said, hey, I'm 45, and I still feel bad about what I spent money on sometimes. It's a life journey of figuring out what is worthwhile to spend money on and what is not. And so, I, you know, I realized with my husband and I, it's about how we talk about our neighbors that we do Mm -hmm. and don't like. Mm -hmm. It's about how we talk about current events. It's about what we talk about at the dinner table. But then also how we treat ourselves and how we encourage them to treat others at school. I mean, it's it's all those things, right? I think it's also being out in the world with an attitude of play and joy and acknowledging the divine and all the goodness around us.
0: So you you take divine outside of just like church or you know, a spiritual conversation, but you help engender this. Literally in everywhere they're looking.
1: Yeah, so for one of the things we lived in, um, pueblo, Colorado, in our when we had kids that were like one and three, and their zoo is tiny. So sometimes we would get there right when it started, and no one else would be there. And I would say, "Oh my gosh, God reserved the zoo for you today. (laughs) This is amazing." Um, But it's so true, right? Like. Oh, my goodness. And so this attitude of, um, I think it's acknowledging God with us in all things and in the things that delight a two-year-old. What delights a two-year-old? Having the zoo to yourself. And so this incorporation of the divine in our every day. I don't know. how do you, I mean, how do you feel like that worked for you? Well, and you know,
0: it's, what's interesting is, so uh, one of the things that I really believe is that kids have a unique curiosity about God and the yeah. divine. Like I see this in my little grandson who's going to turn four in January. He uh, has this thing that he, he always says, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And uh, my wife and I are trying to return that turn that conversation by saying, Oh gosh, oh gosh. But then we're trying to nurture in him a curiosity about God to saying, you know, when we say we don't say oh God because it's a special name and we talk about and God is in the trees and in the plants and in the water and in the air to help him see a broader sense of spirituality that's just is like God is in heaven or Jesus is in your heart, which I think kind of confuses kids, they never get that. Mm-hmm. But to help them engender that natural curiosity so that they do see the spirit, the spark of the divine, mm-hmm. and whether it's their little buddy at preschool or a teacher or in their, even in their relationship with you as parent, I think mm-hmm. to help them see that sense of spirituality inherent in all things. Okay, what about church? Is the faith community significant for an elementary school kid and progressive?
1: I mean, I think always, I think your community, I think community on all levels, right? And so I think there's so much pressure to have our kids involved in everything, anything and everything, right? On sports and art camp and horses and oh goodness. So I think that Uh, I think parents really struggle with why would we do church, right? Um, Church, if I just have to go for an hour and nobody knows my kid's name and we leave. And so I think that's one of the really important parts is creating church to be a community that is honoring of the individual, that we know kids, we know their names, we know what they're interested in, and we care about them. Uh, Sticky faith, I think was a book, Movement, about how to help kids' faith stick. And they said every kid, teenager, should have five adults that know a kid's name. And that is very true, right, I think, Mm -hmm. that that, both of my kids um, love church partially because they're like, everybody knows us and thinks we're cool. And they <laughs> they might outgrow that. Um, but you know, even as they're teenagers now, they're like, it's awesome. We walk in and people have adult conversations with us and ask us great questions and care. And I think they feel like it is a place where they are authentically known. Now, that is really different maybe from some of my peers who are PKs, who felt like they had to be They had to be well-dressed. They had to be quiet. They had to be, I remember in my last church, my daughter, I, (laughs) my daughter was there and she was doing back bends in the front pew as I was preaching (laughs) and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, but you know, it's for me, it's. Um, giving them a lot of space to be in that community and who they are. And I've never had a grumpy church person say, your kid doesn't do this, right? Right. That they just get to be them. They don't have to be holy or interesting or well-behaved. It's just a space where they show up. And, you know, how a church treats my kids is how they'll treat any kid. And so Mm -hmm. that's a great training ground. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, figure it out how to be gracious and kind and loving.
0: I think like... For you and me as faith leaders, it has to be intentional work. You have to work with people, telling people over and over and over. Learn kids' names. names. Greet a kid. Say hello to a kid. Mm-hmm. Get to know, get to know the kid. Get to know the family. Get, I mean, get to know them. Create an open, welcoming mm-hmm. environment. All right, let's go to middle school and high school. So they're maturing. They're going from concrete operational thinking to more abstract thinking. Yeah. They might have encountered kids that are really conservative, maybe homeschool kids, or even kids in their in their school that just you know they've been taught. These kids have been taught to evangelize their um, their little buddies for Jesus. You, what what do you do with the middle school and high school kids?
1: Yeah, you know. So, I, okay, so I, that is one of the challenges that is a stream, is that I think progressive theology is okay with gray. And their and their thinking developmental stages elementary into mm-hmm. middle school, it's hard um, because they just want to know like is God real and is what does heaven look like right mm-hmm. and so as we as we grow there's more space for gray which progressive and gray right are a good marriage right that mm-hmm. there's mystery and not answers so in su- so I think that is one of the tensions that you know, you're big on the stages of faith, right, Fowler? Stages of faith. And so it is a challenge for me as a parent to say, what needs to be concrete? Like you are going somewhere when you die, but what does that look like? I'm not quite sure. And is that helpful for a second grader with anxiety? I don't know. Um, I think as they reach middle school, there's more space for some nuanced thinking, but some of that's still difficult, right? Mm -hmm. I think my son who Um, he was supposed to do a project, I think in seventh grade, expressing sort of who you are and what you care about. And he did, um, he's a goalie. And so he took goalie gloves that were old and he did a Christian fish and he did a pride flag. You would not believe how many kids said you can't be a Christian and like gay people. They just, they just looked at his art piece and said, that doesn't work.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So many. And so, you know, because we because we have a community and we have a family who is, you know, on all places of being conservative and progressive and open and with different views of sexuality, we really talked with them openly about this is how we are, but we really know that this is not what all people believe and this is this is why. And so, we try to help them i always joke like if they go to a conservative bible study or something um, they'll they'll have all the they'll have like the anti-10 steps of evangelism <laughs> PowerPoint for them. No, just kidding. But uh, you know, I think we talk about it a lot. This is what God is to us. This is the way of Jesus. Like this is the way of love and inclusion. God is so much bigger than sexuality. You are not defined by your sexuality. It is an expression in our lives, but it is not defining of you and who God, who you are in God's eyes. And so, and they know that. And so, but also my daughter was at camp and her leader this summer was really, really passionate about against gay marriage. And she I was said, against gay marriage. At uh, camp? Uh-huh. Oh my gosh! And and I said, "Well, d- what did you say?" And she said, "Well, sh- I could tell she was very passionate about it, so I just let her have her have her thing. <laughs> Good for her. And, you know." So I think they they realize discernment too, I and mean, that's uh-huh. a big thing, right? right? Discernment, and so we know what we believe, and we know why we believe that, and we also realize that every people believe all sorts of different things, and um, People are on a journey.
0: But you know, that's a real skill, though, that you taught your daughter as far as how to differentiate, that she has her opinion, she has her belief, her faith, and that is good even though an adult across from her is banging hard against it that says, no, you know, gay marriage is against God, it's against Christ, it's against the church, and she can sit there as a kid and say... Yeah, you can have that perspective, but it's not going to be my perspective. I think that's a huge sign of health for your own kid as far as the ability to dif- differentiate. You think that's kind of a, a job of a progress- progressive parent is to help their kid differentiate their own sense of self and spirituality and spirit vis-a-vis a fundamentalist who is going to be really hard? I think that's one of the key th- difference. Like. A fundamentalist parent is going to teach their kids to be somewhat aggressive about sharing their faith, whereas a progressive parent is is usually more, I don't think passive is the right word, but a kind of accepting is the right word. So do you you help your kid instill that sense of spirit inside them, that sense of spiritual confidence that who they are is okay vis-a-vis another kid or parent who's more assertive or aggressive?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's this idea of self agency. I mean, we all in in the faith journey, right? We all want to encourage people to own their own faith. I don't want I don't don't want them to have my faith. I want them to have their own, Um, and I because I can't do it for them, right? Um, I'm not going to do the work for them in their lives, and so that's a journey. So I can role model. I can lead the way. You know, as a pastor, I always think like. I'm like grumpy mom on Sunday night because I have to finish a a sermon, you know, and then my sermon's on like loving everyone, and I was grumpy last night. But, you know, we we model apologizing. I mean, you know, like naming what – so owning and naming, being transparent, not being perfect. And so – and we encourage them to do that too. And then I think for them, their self-agency is – this journey of figuring out what they believe and why, what does that look like? And then agency and then advocacy. Are you going to stand up for the kid who's gay? Are you going to stand up for the kid that is, you know, that, and so, and you have different kids who have different temperaments and who are going to stand up at different times. And so, the first thing is helping instill them a sense of what is right and wrong. And then also giving them permission of when to stand up and when they might not want to either, you know, because there is a cost for standing up or standing out.
0: So, a couple of things that, that hit me as you were talking I think one is intentionality. A progressive parent has got to be intentional about talking with their kid about, use the term right and wrong. They have to be intentional about talking with their child about what is right and what is wrong according to a progressive sense of values. They just can't be fluffy around that they have to engage the conversation. So a kid does know when to stand up for an LGBTQI+, or just any kid that's being bullied, Mm -hmm. or even when they're being bullied for their beliefs. They... There has to be an intentional conversation from the parent to the kid about such progressive issues as uh, benevolence, as spirit, as wholeness, as the presence of God, the inherent value of each child. I mean, the parent has got to go out of their way to have that conversation with the kid. What do you think Mm -hmm. about that?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think there's this temptation to say like, oh, this kid's a mean kid. This is a bad kid. This is whatever. And, you know, it's like, well, let's talk about that. What do you think their home is like? What do you think their situation is like? You know, like just helping kids think globally and thoughtfully and extend grace to other people, right? Um, I mean, in middle school right now, it's always, it's reminding, especially my son, like this is not your whole life. (laughs) <laughs> this is not your whole life. You're not always going to have Spanish uh, note cards to memorize. That you're going to have an occupation. You might have a partner. You might have children. He says, "No, thank you." But it's to, like this is your life is so big, and I think it can be so suffocating in middle school or high school because they're just in a pressure cooker, peer wise and grades and sports and performance. And so I think part of a faith expands. Um, Why are you here? A sense of purpose. Uniqueness restores uniqueness to them. And then also just invites them to have a purpose in what you're doing, which is interesting because like black and white and purpose, those are all very evangelical words too. But we're defining purpose maybe in a different way. Like it's not to save souls, but it is to share goodness.
0: Oh, that's such a cute, that's such a, we're not here to save souls, which uh, evangelical or fundamentalist will be you talk with the children about saving souls versus sharing goodness that's i think a progressive value of yeah. sharing goodness and and encouraging goodness yeah what do you do with a kid let's go into high school years uh because i think even your kid is involved in this in middle school years like young life a parachurch organization that is uh kind of in its evangelical leaning of things, Young mm-hmm. Life is really popular on high school campuses and been, in pop- mm-hmm. been around since I was in high school back in, the, uh, yeah. back in the 70s. What do you do with your kid who wants to engage the fun and the community that Young Life ha- has, but then it, it kind of bends to this evangelical end? What do you, how do you help your kid process through that, some of that stuff?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, even when I was a youth pastor 20 years ago, um, parents, kids would want to go up the street to the other rah-rah church. And the parents would say, why aren't my kids coming to this church? And I said, well, part of part of identity formation in your teen and adolescence years is trying on different identities. That can be trying on different groups. It can be trying, I'm going to see if I want to be on the equestrian team. That can be that I'm going to join, I'm going to be grunge this week. And that freaks parents out, right? But part of, I just accept that kids are trying on different identities. It gives parents lots of heartburn when that is like, they come home and they say i might be bi next week and the parents like what but all of it it's it's sexual identities it's emotional it's all these identities that they're trying on and they're seeing what fits who they are, where they are, right? And so um, one of my friends who, she's hilarious, she was sending her kid off to Young Life Camp, and she said, they'll tell you you're going to hell and you have to say the prayer, but don't worry, you're fine. You don't have to say it. And I just always laugh about that. Um
0: so what do they do? What do you they come home and they've said the prayer and they've accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior? You say they've jumped off the cliff. What do you totally?
1: Well, you've just said that is like that's that culture. They really value that, right? Uh And I always just say, I mean, even if my kids did say that, what does that mean to you? And they would probably say, Well, I've always believed in Jesus, but I thought it was a good moment to say, Yep, I really do. And you go, Okay. That's fine. And so I think it's partially seeing, um, seeing the good intention, but the good intention lasts for how long, or will those kids outgrow young life? Or does young life not become a safe place for the kid who is, off the path of what young wife um, believes. It's the same thing, you know, in Michigan, a mega church down the street that all these people, families were going to, um, wasn't okay with women in ministry. Was that really going to work for your family as your women grow Like as your girls grow up and are becoming engineers and all this stuff, like, is it really a great soul fit for your church that doesn't let women speak up front? Hmm. Doesn't seem like a lifetime fit to me, but so I would say that to those families and they'd be like, Yeah, it might not be a lifetime fit. I don't know. But it's that's not my journey, right? I mean, right. it's where it is right now for them. And that the that formation box works until it doesn't. Right. Right? I mean it until it doesn't. And then it mm-hmm. suffocates mm-hmm. you or your kids and it's life sucking and you have to figure out a bigger a bigger something.
0: And give your kid the permission to go to the big or something. Give your kid the permission to step out of that box, so that when it's not working, whether it's yeah. anti-LGBTQI or anti-woman, uh, or even anti—you know—stereotypical masculine roles, and helping Absolutely. kids see, you don't have to do this. Give them the permission to step outside that. And to think in a more global, different way.
1: Absolutely, and aren't isn't that just? I mean, what we would call our liminal spaces—divorce, mm-hmm. a kid taking their life. I mean, any of these things, these crises that where we realize the box we've lived in, or the things we've believed or bought into, are not really big enough for us, or serving us, or don't work. Right. And so.
0: So let's talk about sexuality. Something that um, that. Phoebe and I, my wife and I, really wrestled with how to teach our kids progressive sexuality uh, without suffocating them, but also helping them form uh, healthy boundaries so Mm -hmm. that their sexuality was not, whoa, (laughs) she's all (laughs) over the place. But yet there was healthy boundaries. How does a progressive parent do that with sexuality?
1: Okay, so it goes back to that, I think, original goodness thing, right? Like, do we believe our bodies are... To be feared, controlled, right? All that kind of stuff. There's lots of things we could say about that. Or do we believe our bodies are essentially good? And then, therefore, sexuality, sexual expression, is just a really good thing. Um, And that our bodies are amazing and fearfully made. And part of that is sexuality. And then, um, And then how do we engage in sexuality as part of relationships with other people? And so that's something I'm still working on, right? For me, it's been, in raising kids, an open conversation about bodies and sex and reproductiveness and how amazing That is, my husband sometimes just laughs at me at the analogies I use. At one point, I was like, well, there's a red carpet. And when I was pregnant, um, my son was like, how's that baby going to come out? And I was like, well, there's a tunnel. But, I mean, as they've grown, you know, it's, again, it, it begins talking about it. Um, biologically, scientifically, right? But then also...
0: Like the other day, you said, <laughs> you got to name the parts. You, gotta. <laughs> you told me that yeah. was funny.
1: <laughs> oh, what were we talking? I don't know what we're talking about, but yes, you have to name the parts. But yeah, so our bodies are... Um, and. You know, again, I some I can see my friend like shaking his head at me and saying, "Oh, you're so Boulder." I mean, growing up in yeah. Boulder, though, you know, you're like, I don't know, I'm sure there's a nudist colony up the road. I mean, you know, you're just like these these are bodies, and and this is great, and I think that is somewhere in our. In church and religion, we've um, sexuality has been one of the main targets of control and manipulation and hiding. And any any time we go into the closet and try to hide, right, that it's in in darkness, then um, it becomes control and power and manipulated and feared, right? And clearly, women have fear have fared the worst in this, mm-hmm. right? Of it of yeah. not a healthy body image. Of only being needed to produce babies, all these other things, right? I mean, I can see my more evangelical friends being like, "Oh my gosh, Jill, that's so unfair." But in some ways, um, <laughs> I
0: think it's fair, right? Very that there's a assessment. whole
1: spectrum, and you know, it—it's not my experience, um, but it is so many people's experience of sexual oppression of um just really hard things right and so okay what was your what's like what's well, the I question mean, so, about this okay
0: so I really b- want kids to believe boundaries I okay mean, oh yeah how do help? we have boundaries because like, like you know my high school sons asked the question okay enough of the fluffy stuff can I have sex can I not have sex when can <laughs> I have sex I mean they got to the or brass what Or exactly,
1: what exactly counts as sex. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other thing, too. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, right.
0: I mean they, they were asking really clear. It was like, OK, enough of the fluffy. Dad, give me really concrete advice. When can I, when can't I? Mm-hmm. And how does a progressive parent well I want them to experience their sexuality? I don't necessarily want them having sex in high school. How do you how do you <laughs> deal with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's every kid is different, right? I mean, there's gonna be kids that are afraid of having sex until they're 32. <laughs> I mean, there are. I mean, oh my gosh. And then there's kids that are really sexually curious about um and so for me it's Connecting. Okay, so a healthy sense of their own body and agency over their own body that other oh, they get to right. choose, right. right? And so it's who touches them, um, and appropriateness. But then also adding as they grow the relational aspect of that. And so I remember when I was talking with one of my kids about um, oral sex. They were pretty sure they would never be interested in that, and I said, "Well, it's—I mean, it goes with a relationship." Yeah,
0: most high school kids or junior high kids go. No. Uh,
1: well, it comes with a relationship, and so there's things that I'm just gonna say, like what this could look like, but just so you're never like surprised in life, but. And I remember one of my neighbors in Michigan, she was amazing. She always said, I just let my kids like Google everything, right? They can Google lyrics and the meanings and things because I want them to learn. I don't Uh want my kids not to know what this is. Uh I remember um, at one church we used to do a sexuality retreat. And um, one kid asked what oral sex was. And another kid said, I can answer that. And so the leader was like, sure, answer it. And he's like, well, it's when you're on the phone and you talk real dirty. (laughs) And um, we're like, no, it's actually not what it is. But so – But you want kids to know, right? Um, You want to know them to know about their own bodies, what things are. I can't – I mean, working with youth over the years, I can't tell you how many – Kids reach, like, 15 and don't know what parts go in what parts for sex. Like, that's not going to work. And so we need kids, especially in this day and in media, we want them learning from us, and we want to have open conversations. Right. And not fear-based. Also, not a value-based around sexuality. And so that's one kind of odd thing that is really broken about religion is that um, religion and then purity goes with value. Right. And that's had just really negative and disastrous.
0: Because I think, you know, again it goes back to intentionality. Kids will learn about sex and sexuality. All they do is Google anything. Uh And you don't want we don't want them finding out about sex via the latest porn site. We want them to find out about sex from their parents. That means you have to be open and talking with kids when they're little about the parts, what part goes where, what's male, what's female. And yeah. then, then when they're in junior high or middle school and high school, to be able to talk with them about a bigger aspect about whether there's sexuality, what does sexuality look like, what is heterosexual, what is uh, GLBTQI sexuality, what is transsexuality, and to be intentional about that conversation so that yeah. they're having it with you instead of with, uh, with the internet or with their buddies at school that they have some type of meaningful intentional conversation with an adult around them. Yeah.
1: You know, there was this Netflix um, show called Sex Ed that had maybe a little too much sex for me so I didn't end up watching it, but it's about this boy. Did you ever watch it? No. About this boy, Sex Education. About this young man (laughs) to a mom, single mom, who's a sex therapist but he knows like everything, right? So then he like sets up this sex therapy, um, you know, practice into school. But it, I mean, it just tells you like what is the value of one kid that actually knows about sex like come on you've got the hookup you can like you actually know about this and so it's it just cracks me up but it is it's um how do we how do we invite them in right and this is part of how they navigate an the adult world and I think also you throw media on top of there I mean the amount of kids you know parents think it's great for them to have a cell phone, well then they're Snapchatting pictures of every body part in the right. world. I mean by 10, 11, 12. Right. And so part of that is with my kids, I've you know, we talk about their digital footprints a lot too and saying you are never taking like never take a picture of anybody. Ever. That's I mean the ever. Thing. That's good
0: be intentional because you know <laughs> as parents, we don't know about Snapchat and everything. They do. I think you have to really tell them crystal clearly, no You're not taking a picture of a body part and sending it to a friend. (laughs) Even if you think you're joking around, kids get in serious trouble with Uh, that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so it's it's just all of those things. And sometimes my son especially accuses me of being paranoid. But – um, I call it wisdom. He maybe calls it paranoia. You call it what? <laughs> he calls it paranoia. I call it wisdom. Oh, wisdom. But, um, <laughs> you know, he's always like, Mom, I can't believe he would say that. I'm like, uh, Yeah. So he just it tr- being curious, trying to learn, being willing to have the hard conversations, and then being not the angry, shaming, blaming parent when your kid comes to you with something that's scary or rough or hard.
0: Yeah, the switch. Uh, Another topic that I think a progressive parent needs to wrestle with is the whole notion of discipline. I think that when we talk with our elementary school parents, I think, you know, uh, consequences, natural consequences, time out, using kind of no corporal punishment in any way, shape, or form, but natural consequences for things, time out, Um, but I think when it gets to be middle school and high school, discipline is a really tricky thing because you don't want to oppress the kid, but again, they have to know consequences. They have to know boundaries. What's, what's safe, what's not safe, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate Mm -hmm. as a progressive parent. How do you discipline your kids? Oh my gosh.
1: (laughs) Um,
0: you should have just seen Jill's face. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is I a mean, video you know,
1: whatever. I mean, I just think it's so funny. You know, we, we, we read these books as you were saying that I was thinking about like all the books of love <laughs> and logic and oh my gosh, all the books of different parenting things that I read. And okay. So there's two things. You have the, a kid's temperament and no two kids are the same. Right. Right. Then you have the parent's temperament. And I realize what I mean, what I know about myself is that I can make a sticker flow chart and I will lose the stickers by the third day. (laughs) And um, so my husband and I joke that he runs a tight ship and I run a pirate ship, and that's it. <laughs> I mean, that is it. And so I, um,
0: you, he runs the tight ship, ship, and you run the pirate yeah. ship. Yeah.
1: Sometimes he'll be like, "What are y'all doing? Uh, having fun?" Yeah. Um, and so for me, uh, oh, you know, I'm busy. I work a lot. I th- I am type A, but maybe, um, I don't know, in recovery. But there's only so much I can keep track of. And so some- if I set, like, this impossible, like, rewards and consequences and whatever flow chart, I can't keep up with it. Yeah. So for me, what seems to work in my parenting is some natural consequences, right? Uh-huh. Um encouraging kids to take as much responsibility as possible. They can do chores, they can do the laundry, they need to unload the dishwasher, like they are involved in the workings out of our house. And if the things we need them to do do not work, then there is some loss of privileges. But really, I mean, really, the biggest thing that makes sense to me is staying in a relationship with your kids where there's a heart connection and you are problem-solving together what you need from them to make this family in the house work and what they want.
0: Do you, uh, My wife and I use grounding. We try to have a, a flexible, open, again, the dialogue with the kid as far as, what works, what doesn't work, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. But there are a couple times where we said, okay, the high school version of time out is ground. Yeah, Sorry, for sure. You, you've just lost the privilege to spend time with your kids or to do – with your friends or to do whatever. Do you still do that? Do you do that with your kids?
1: You know, I think it'll change as they have more like mm, parties, peer – cars, you uh-huh. know, I mean, you can take the car keys away. I, you know, right now our life is so, it, it's just like consumed with soccer and dance and activities. And there's not really a lot of like you're grounded mm-hmm. type thing. It's just because where my kids are. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I also have one child who's like, you can take away everything. I don't care. And so when you have that kid, you're like, oh, OK. Um, I don't know. What could we try next? So again, I don't, I don't know. I don't have a formula about this. I think a relationship and treating kids the way we would want to be treated, right, but realizing that developmentally, they've got a lot of teenage hormones. They're trying to figure out a lot of things. And what what, really what we're asking them to do is grow in their executive, everything is executive functioning, right? Right. And it's just hit or miss. Did you brush your teeth? Did you take your vitamins? Did you? I mean, it's all that stuff that um, we would love to not have to nag them about. And we're encouraging them to be self sufficient. And so for us, we try to remind them. The bigger picture is we want you to be a viable, productive human in the world. That's what we're working for in this house. I'm not asking you to scoop litter just to make you mad. (laughs) It's actually just about owning responsibility. Okay. I don't know, right? I mean, I think sometimes the kids are like, you're just making me mad. I'm like, "Mm, no, I just don't want to smell the cat. So, uh, I don't know, but I guess at this age, it's more taking tech away. You know, that tech is so
0: there. Taking tech away. Limiting and taking tech.
1: You know, and I've had so many grandparent friends say, I'm so glad I didn't, I don't have to raise a child in this generation. They're so addicted to tech. I think navigating tech is just a full time job.
0: How do you do it? (laughs) I mean, because, you know, uh, I agree. You know, my little grandson already knows how to use a smartphone and iPad. I mean, he's really adept at technology. Absolutely. And so we, you see, you know, middle school, elementary school, all the kids are involved in tech. On the one hand, it's kind of a blessing. It's a curse. How do you help a kid navigate tech?
1: Yeah, I mean, so, okay, I think it, it is part of – it's it's how they're connected. It It's how they understand their social spheres, right? I mean, they – Especially for kids that really struggle with peer relationships maybe in school or whatever, they can have a group that I don't know, plays some, crazy game that nobody else plays that was playing on three continents and that and they know them and love them um so it's really it's an interesting way to build community Mm -hmm. to have support networks it's also um you've got the negative chat you've got adults and places playing with kids are super not appropriate you know that all that so i think it's being in the your the world with your kids being willing to play games with them. That's something that my husband and I struggle with because we're not really gamers, but so many parents just dive in and play with their kids and it's great. Um, for me, it's saying, Hey, I'm always going to be in your digital world so I can read your texts. My son grabbed my phone the other day. And I was like, well, I'm going to read yours. And he's like, these are horrible. Oh my gosh. You have so many texts. And I said, yeah, like 4,000 a month. And he's like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> um so you let her
0: read your text i mean, I don't care
1: oh <laughs> i mean what is it gonna say like can i move our coffee meeting to two yeah <laughs> I, I mean they're all boring so but it's being in their tech world knowing uh, that i have a right to be in their tech world um it's like because checking,
0: you know a parent i have a right to check your room I have a right absolutely
1: to check your it's kind of like the hall monitor and i say to them it's not that i don't trust you i just know that we behave differently when we know somebody's gonna read it We just do. And so, and I don't ever want you to be in a place where you're super uncomfortable online that you feel stuck or isolated or whatever. So, but I, but just the basic time, you know, they say with video games that um, kids, especially boys' brains change and kind of that dopamine checks in, in like 20 minutes. And so how are you gonna, I mean, how are you gonna play Minecraft for under 20 minutes and then get off before you're hooked? You're not. So for us, that is an ongoing thing of learning how do you transition from tech back into the, the real world without being angry. Because there's just this brain where they, they think they have been on tech a half an hour and they've been on three. And so I think a lot of it is, uh, so, you know, setting timers. Sometimes I just turn off the internet and move on. Mm-hmm. That drives my people crazy. But it is, um, they kids would watch Reels and be on social media. They, they'll just move from one device to another all day, every day, right. if you don't figure out how how to help them moderate.
0: Good. All right. Joe, we've covered uh, quite a bit of territory. Um, Closing words, closing advice to a parent, a a progressive parent who wants to raise their kid in a progressive environment. How do you do that?
1: You know, I just, so I hope that you can hear a sense of humility in my voice, right? And this like learning. Um, It's humbling. I don't have the right answers. I just know where I land spiritually and what kind of the goodness and freedom love um that faith for faith perspective the invitation of Jesus is in my life right and i want to pass that part of faith on to my kids um but it's a humbling process there yeah. it's not formulaic yeah. there's no right and wrong and sometimes I just, you know, there's moments where you're like, oh, goodness, is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Does this pay off anytime? Parenting's hard. And so I think it, it's finding people that support you. And maybe that's an online community, maybe that is a faith community, but finding people that remind you your kid's going to graduate high school, it's going to be fine, yeah. you know? Um, I and mean,
0: then there's college. Maybe,
1: you know, but it's just that it's like the humility of finding people that are sort of in your um, tribe that you can journey with in this humbling journey,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jill, thank you very much for those of you who've been uh, piqued. Your curiosity has been piqued by this. Jill uh, works here at Columbine United Church. She's active part in the leadership of the church. teaches on. Uh, preaches and teaches on Sunday morning. She l- uh, leads a moms group and other groups here at Columbine. Many ways you can tap into her wisdom. I want to thank you for listening to the Cowboy Jesus podcast. You can read my blog, Cowboy Jesus. Uh, it's published on Friday or Saturday. Also, we find each other on Facebook and Instagram. Check out Columbine United Church's Facebook and Instagram page. And I want to say a huge thank you to Columbine United Church for hosting this podcast and allowing me the time to do this uh, do this work. All right, thank you for joining us. Take care.
1: Have a great week.